Borak-thung. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Jason, and this is the first episode of Space Spinner Reaction, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own classic comic action, three issues at a time. This week, we're starting out covering action for February 1976, issues one through three. This episode, a whole bunch of athletes get injured, Dredger is on the case, and Hookjaw <laughs> eats a, a ton of people. But so many, so many. But before we dive into that, let's do some introductions. First off, hey Jason, welcome to the show, buddy. Um, hey, thanks. Yeah, Jason and I are old friends. I'm super excited to have him here on the show, talking about these ridiculous British comics from before we were both born. <laughs> but <laughs> before we start, Jason, I just love if you if there's any like history with comics or anything else that you'd like to share with our audience, just so they can kind of get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, so. Um, so a lot of my friends, I mean, I think, uh, just based on the avid comic book discussions that we've had, I think a lot of people think that that's kind of been a thing that I've been into for a long time, but, uh, I've actually only recently gotten into comics the last few years in my adult life mm -hmm. when I can afford them. So <laughs> before Be that, careful. I was kind of, so, yeah, <laughs> before that, it was a lot of like comic knowledge by osmosis. I would sit around a lot of uh, my friends, <laughs> listen to them talk about comics and then parrot that back to other people. Oh man. But, uh, yeah, I actually started getting into it. I, I found out about the, uh, Marvel Unlimited subscription, mm -hmm. got into that, was reading a bunch of those, was reading a bunch of independent comics that like friends were suggesting. And so, it's just been kind of my, you know, on again, off again, love affair with them since then. So really excited to kind of check this uh, action comic out, which is not for the faint at heart, or at least I <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to dig into that with you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, in comparison to like American or I know it, like as Americans, this stuff's w way obscure. So it's very like, just like, here's a, a weird corner of comic stuff that most people just have never heard of. Even like, like most Americans have never heard of 2000 AD, which is a big comic in England. And this one, which is like the two, what, what comes before 2000 AD is even more like, like obscure <laughs> for us. But, um, so besides in introducing Jason, I think we, I should introduce just this action comic itself, right? So. It was created by the uh, father of modern British comics, uh, Pat Mills, and edited by John Sanders. And, and it's basically, in 1976, it was an attempt to tell, like, grittier, more violent, and more uh, uh, quote-unquote realistic stories um, <laughs> than existed previously. They get um, gritty and they get violent. I'll give you that. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, a big focus was to make, like, comic book versions of movies that, like, a 6- to 12-year-old reader wouldn't be able to see you know like you, you can kind of see that so it's like jaws or something like an r-rated movie that like a kid couldn't you know his parents wouldn't get him to see so instead we've got like hook jaw like here's another killer shark movie you know or yeah, story i should say way. yeah, yeah um you you know i'm gonna sort of go over it for a bunch of them that there's a bunch of, of, of ones like that um i've and then it's also like an attempt to like take things and just sort of adapt them but sort of have a little twist on it and stuff um, I've been really interested in action for a long time because whenever I've read like histories of the comic 2000 AD, which I do on Space Spinner 2000, those always start with like, ah, oh, but first there was action comics, you know, before there was this action comic and it was real controversial and it got banned and like it was never this, you know, it flamed out and stuff. Um, and so I've always been really interested to read it. And now, you know, 
here we are. You know, the the goal of this show for me is to try to get a to shed some light on this lost comic and to just to see where the story of 2008 really begins. You know. So I'm really excited to get going. As of right now, the plan for this show is definitely to cover this comic, is to cover action at least through its initial cancellation. And then we'll probably do some coverage of the aftermath of that just to see how sort of the censorship, um, changed a bunch of stories. But after that, it might be time for to move on to other things, you know, check out some space nobility or other things like that. Um, I don't want to just beat a dead horse of a post censorship action, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's for the that's for the future. We don't gotta worry about that. Um, I guess also before I start, I should mention that I've I've, I've tried my best to find who the writer like, like to find the writing and artist credits for all these stories. But it's hard because they definitely aren't listed. You know, the 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 comics here don't have like a written by art by like a card or anything in them. And most of the and and and, and like the the best I've been able to find is um stuff like in the book about action that sort of has the general credit. So I'm, I've, I've, I've done my best to attribute things, but it can be kind of mysterious. Like there's ones where it's like, just like, who is the artist for this? Like some unknown Spanish artist. So whatever. <laughs> but oh, how did I not notice that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, now well, I'm looking back through and like, okay, yeah, that's never listed anywhere. It's <laughs> such an automatic thing for American comics. Like even in like the sixties, um, like they'd say like you know, like oh like written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby and all that stuff but with with British comics um like in 2000 AD for instance they basically had to like fight and like actually they like waited for the the usual like like ma- like a managing director to be like on vacation and they managed to get um, to start doing credit cards <laughs> like they like snuck wow. him in with his replace like with his substitute and he came back and was like well we've been doing it for like a month so it's too late now you know <laughs> But like, you know, it's it's very like um it's something that like yeah, the the creators actually had to fight for to get their names associated with their with their comics, which is a a ridiculous thing, you know. Yeah, it blows my mind. I I guess I just took it so for granted that I just glossed yeah, over it not being. Yeah, yeah, you don't even notice it's not there because you're so used to it. Then it's like, wait a minute, like who did write this? Like what the heck is going on here? You know, but so I've done my best. Anyhow, okay, let's get started. Um, Traveling back to February 14th, 1976, you know, uh, imagine like Sex Pistols in the background or something like that. As we go to Story One, Dredger. <laughs> the writer oh, for Dredger is Kelvin Gosnell, and oh man. <laughs> This, okay, is, you, this is a way to kick this off. It's, you it's, want to talk about the epitome of action. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 1973, and Hassan Ghazi, the Prime Minister of Koran, is heading home after signing an oil deal with Britain. His life has been threatened, but he'll be safe so long as DI6 Agent Breed has anything to say about it. But then he gets shot by a sniper! Oh no! This is yeah. This is great. Like this, it's, uh, so many things here set the tone for me, as far as how this comic plays out. Mm-hmm. Breed, uh, just already we learn about Breed. He misses everything. Yeah, he doesn't pay attention to anything. So he's <laughs> just like he like, always oh, things after the fact. <laughs> what's gonna happen when suddenly the sniper's car is taken out by a forklift driven by Breed's new partner, Dredger. <laughs> The the two of them board the plane along with the injured prime minister, but the plane is swiftly taken over by terrorists. Uh, Once again, 
supremacist and everything. <laughs> they can just pull out like a stretcher. They just pull out. Yeah, he's so he's so busy uh, yelling, like thinking, being angry at Dredger for sleeping on a plane. He notices these guys bringing like AK forty sevens on this plane. <laughs> Um, but luckily, they're then swiftly taken out by Dretcher, who was a, who was pretending to be asleep, so he could then jump them and then gun them down with his magnum leading, pistol. <laughs> yes, leading to a series of some of the greatest lines that Dredger just delivers here. Uh, you're so, nothing, and you're dead, pal. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. They capture one guy, and he says he can't speak English. But after some grenade-based uh, questioning, he quickly learns it. Um, you learn English in five minutes, uh, which is um, so. And we learn that the plane's pilot is also a terrorist. So Dredger bursts into the cockpit there, and um, quickly judo chops the pilot and gets talked down by the flight tower to land the plane. Um, it's a dirty landing, just like how Dredger's dirty, <laughs> but he gets results. <laughs> you know, um, Dredger's clearly just like uh, Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry with some spy stuff tossed in, and he's so ridiculous. <laughs> um, he's so, the prototype cop on the edge. Super, like the- yeah, super cop on the edge. <laughs> Just starts immediately doing it. Yeah. So next up in Costa Verde, the British ambassador has been kidnapped by Los Cougueros, the, uh, the, the Cougars. Oh, man. And they want a hundred thousand yeah. pounds. So oh. I have a question. Do yes. they just, they, they, do they want to seed in one thing just to like mess with people? So, like they have the prime minister of Quran, right. the last one. And then like the very typical Los Cougaros. Not, like not the actual Spanish, just no. Los in front of a word and Os at the end of it. Boom, nailed it. I will say, yeah, because because multiple cougars, because multiple cougars in Spanish is actually Los Pumas, right? <laughs> or or possibly a uh, Los Chiboleras if it's the more modern version of cougar. Take my meaning, but uh, <laughs> um, so although I don't think that term is being used in 1976, so who's to say? <laughs> So they could have been the prototype. I mean, that could have whoa. been where it all started. Yeah. Hey, listen, I would, I would, I would watch a spy story about a bunch of uh, like fifty-year-old ladies on the prowl. I don't know. <laughs> so, but so Breed's characters in this group, <laughs> man. So Breed's been sent to make the drop of of the ransom, but it's a double cross. He's about to get killed, but it looks like the random dude with a poncho and a donkey turns out to be treasure. <laughs> <laughs> He guns these guys down, and then he and Breed put on the ski masks of the uh, of the snipers and pretend to be the gunmen. Just you know, classic oldest trick in the book style. You know, they get driven back to some ancient some ancient Incan ruins where the Cougaros are about to execute the ambassador. When you know Dredger blows up the car and starts taking dudes away, he like goes to save the ambassador. He tosses Breed his AR-15 and Dredger's double fisting them, shooting two assault rifles at all the Gugaros. <laughs> I mean, he spent an entire ride without killing anybody. He had to get it out. Yeah, he's got it all point. pent up. Yeah, well, you know, he he he's running up the Incan temple as they're about to execute the ambassador with a machete. He shoots one dude, so the dude falls in front of the machete and gets killed instead and then he throws hot coals in this other guy's face and then karate kicks him off the side of the pyramid which is this interesting like switch from like in high 
highly efficient maneuver to just like, oh, but now I'm going to look cool. There's only one guy left, so I can actually I mean, take my time. You know, <laughs> besides be killing people, Dredger also cares about style. I think we can all agree on that. Um, oh, government he's got heli- the <laughs> Yeah, government helicopters show up. The cougars were tough, but they met an even dirtier animal. Dredger! <laughs> cougars aren't dirty. Is that what I, that's not what I think of. I think of a cougar, I guess. I mean, once again, which cougar are you talking about? Maybe this person's just really judgy. Whoa, <laughs> Breed. I don't like that Victorian attitude, buddy. Right. <laughs> These English okay, guys, you know? Yeah. So, oh, man, Jason. <laughs> Dredger and Breed have been taken captive by an evil German doctor dentist guy. He's going to smash Dredger's teeth. Ah, uh, but in fact, it's just a ruse. And the agents well, are here to help this guy defect. It's a ruse than a ruse. Part of a yeah. ruse. But because he, he still actually does take some of his teeth, right? Like, that's right, yeah. He still <laughs> does some to prove that's right. That's why, that's, why as soon, that's why as soon as Dredger's free, he punches this guy right in the face. That's what blew my mind. I was like, oh, okay, so he faked it. And at the end, they're like, no, 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 no. Really to take his teeth, though. Yeah, not cool. So they get this guy into, the, into, the, into a car, and they drive to a checkpoint. But the Germans are on to him, so... You know, there's a good part where uh, where the the German guy's about to call somebody, and Dredger attacks him and says the phone is dead, and so are you, which is always nice. Um, they they drive for freedom with Dredger on the hood of their car, like blasting people with his Magnum as they drive. Um, they finally escape East Berlin. They get to their hotel room, and once they're there, Dredger shoots the doctor guy in the face because he was going to be a double agent. But I want to talk about that escape, though. Oh, please. I, I love, like, the doctor throwing throwing Judger Sade about his choice of car, right? <laughs> like, this is, like, the big, big thing here. And the whole reason he's like, oh, what's up with this tiny little hoopty, basically? <laughs> and it's so they can get under the barrier right, where right, no right. regular-sized car could make it. <laughs> <laughs> Despite Dredger being on the hood of this thing, which... Also, like, the windshield gets smashed off, so I don't yeah. know how Dredger actually turned into, like, what, it's like, tapeworm style? He, he can apparently also, like, tapeworm style flatten himself out completely to get under this barrier. Hey, that I, whole scene is It feels just... realistic, you know? I, I feel like Dredger <laughs> can handle that. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's a professional secret agent, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's how he survived, the uh, you know, just disappearing into Africa all those years, I guess, before coming back. But, yeah, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we also, we're starting to get little notes of the Dredger backstory, as mysterious as it is. <laughs> it's like a mercenary um, that, like, came back and whatever. But, yeah, so uh, Dredger shoots the guy in the face. It turns out he was going to be a double agent. But now, because he's escaped, they can actually send them back, um, fake it, send the Russians fake information. So he's like a triple agent. Which is pretty good. <laughs> so that's the other thing. What, this period, this is set in the seventies, right? Yeah, seventy three, absolutely. But we still we have this like the Berlin job. So is this like a German double agent, or is this like or yeah, a Russian like a, he, extracted from? No, he's like an East German double agent. You know, there's like East Germany that's like communist controlled, and West Germany that's like a that's like Western controlled. Uh, you know. I see. Okay, so this is like the this is alluding to the co-work. I mean, because they have oh, we yeah. also, we're, we're going to get into a series of comics that are also like set back in like world war ii so i start to get confused about which germans i'm supposed to absolutely find the enemy or even the hero which we'll get to shortly well i mean um, you know but yeah this one's specifically in 73 so it's very cold it's, it's all this cold war stuff for sure but yeah so keep keep it so yeah man dredger <laughs> next time a secret mission that that cannot succeed but must not fail 
<laughs> that sounds like a job for treasure if ever there was one. Always, it's always a job for treasure. Uh, I love. I, I just love how Breed keeps call like always has a sentence about how dirty Dredger is right at the end of each story. It's ridiculous. You're right, every single last panel has the word something is dirty, but Dredger is dirtier. Basically, yeah, right? It's like, geez, dude. Like, I think you could just like talk to Di Six HR and ask him to take a shower or something. If it's that much of a problem, you know. I'm pretty sure Dredger. Or just blow up the shower and then everybody would be without. So maybe that's why it's just, Ooh. you know, yeah, he's got to a... keep pristine. I mean, you see, like he's never have a speck of dust or blood on him in any of these panels. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. And speaking of questionable faves, it's story two: helmet of hammer force. <laughs> the the writer for helmet of, Her- of hammer of helmet of her helmet is Jerry Finley day art robot, Mike Dory. So, uh, th- and, and this creative team, uh, for 2000 AD fans will later, uh, team up with some great invasion storylines as well. But now it's May 1st, 1940, and the Blitzkrieg into Belgium is on! Um, and man, this is a weird story, Jason. <laughs> yes, yes. This is what it's, I was getting at. Is this, yeah. We, we go from, yeah, like, we have this story featuring from the perspective of a Blitzkrieg officer, right? Like, yeah. We're actually, traveling with the germans yeah so i'll I'll tell you that um here like in 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 britain in the uk like uh war comics and especially world war ii comics are super popular like they have like whole comic magazines like uh like battle or call like battle or something that are just all world war ii stories um, it's, it's, it's similar to America where it's all superhero stuff, you know, like there, World War II is a real big right. thing. And this is like the first British comic that's telling the story from the side of a German character, which is kind of interesting, namely from a uh, major Kurt Hellman, Panzer Commander. Um, and they sort of try to present him as a good German, I guess, quote unquote. Like we get a, right. a sense of his like sense of honor and mercy as he like, you know, he'll like, he like runs a Belgian tank off a bridge instead of destroying it. Um, giving them or, a chance to escape. Yeah. Uh, even and they like were in a, a superior position originally, right? Right. And we like <laughs> really, and we really see his distaste for a Gottlieb Kastner, the SS commander that's been uh, assigned to the tank company. Like, so, t- you know, tensions between them are high when suddenly a call comes out to take out some British forces holed up in a farmhouse. Helmut plows through the wall of the farmhouse and forces the Brits to surrender. The fighting continues in the relationship between the major and the commas are strained. I mean, and it's a, you know, this fight sort of goes quick and he just sort of bursts in and takes these, these Brits out. But it's one of these things where it's like, you know. It's, it's interesting because he, there's times where he talks about how much he values the lives of his men and like he don't yeah. put himself on the line all the time to save them but in this particular case he endangers them repeatedly so as to avoid killing the british soldiers yeah i mean <laughs> it's a weird thing to also but it's also like you know like if you if you conquer the world for hitler while holding your nose like the world has still been conquered by hitler you know <laughs> like right like it doesn't kind of change yeah, the fact that like you know it doesn't uh, to me it doesn't feel like it's that much better to, to be like holding your nose while you do it versus saluting him while you do it i guess well like he draws this distinction he seems like he's doing it for germany yeah and like despite hitler i guess right yeah he does it yeah he like has pride in his german heritage but hates what the nazis have done to it but he's definitely still like killing people and like conquering yeah, he's still places. furthering the nazi agenda yeah, yeah. like he's <laughs> So, 
Like it's very, yeah, it's very like you know, there's there's parallels that can be drawn to more uh, modern political things, to be honest. Um, but it's very, <laughs> it's very like okay, but like it seems like like the actual honorable thing to do would be to object somehow. I don't know. Um, it's definitely yeah, it's like it never slows it never slows the advance. Like he, yeah. in fact, he very much insists on not. He was part of the reason he's met with the Nazis is that he had to wait for one of them to show up when he could right. have been smashing towards England. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very. <laughs> like like a question of priorities, I suppose. So, next up, the Blitzkrieg hits France, but British artillery have zeroed in on Hammer Force. So, under cover of fog, Hellman and a rot shirt. Rot is a red in German, by the way, so it's a red shirt. Uh, head out on a boat to find the British artillery positions, but quickly run afoul of some British Tommies. Hellman guns them down as the rat shirt is killed, but tosses Hellman the radio at the last minute, and so Hellman climbs into a nearby windmill and radios the artillery position to his men, which allow them to shoot the guns as Hellman shoots the troopers from the mill! The... Okay. Sorry. I I just... I love this in contrast to just the last one, where he pretty much refused to kill anyone and wanted to take everyone hostage, Mm -hmm. and this one he just shoots every single person he sees. Yeah, he's very, very (laughs) situational mercy, for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the mill, the mill, he's in, the mill he's in is set ablaze, and the Brits run for it, unable to escape. Hellman as one of his Panzers bulldoze the mill into a nearby river, where he is able to land safely. Hooray for the Germans! Wait, what? No, what? <laughs> I got a weird sense about for Hellman. Yeah, this story's weird. <laughs> but I do like the consistent uh, commitment to Hammer Force. Knocking things over with their tanks. Absolutely, like, a lot of they good really tank. Drive yeah. that home. Good tank <laughs> ramming. Absolutely. Uh, final, final Hellman story. Hellman, the, the Hammer Force continues through France. They come under fire from skirmishers. Hellman saves a motorcycle outrider guy, and they continue on. But ooh, that Commissar Kastner has a flamethrower tank burn the partisans to death, or the skirmishers, whatever. Uh, the Commissar also demands to lead the way into the nearby town of Monet, uh, where they immediately fall into a French tank trap! Uh, pin down, Kastner radios for help, and Hellman must respond. He takes a scout car, and he and the motorcycle duty saved earlier roll into town, machine gunning everything as he goes! The- also, that motorcycle dude is an all-star. I can't believe he got shot in the first place, because... The no, way he's, he's a real good driver, absolutely. He drives that car right. like a bat out of hell. <laughs> hell, men. But well, he does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> the car's able to pick up the survivors, but Helmet himself like falls out and is pinned down behind a statue. As the car drives away, Helmet uses his belt to grab onto the bot like a hook on the front of the car and like drives in the undercarriage underneath. Um, like, Kastner, the commissar guy, had a, has immediately proved himself to not just be, like, you know, a brutal, like, killer, but also a coward, because he's like, leave, Hellman, I must save myself, in a very, like, Cobra Commander sort of way, but Hellman is like, no, that was the right move, we must continue right. to advance. Like, That's they the thing, yeah, be- Hellman totally backs... Up the yeah, Nazis they, on this whole horribly dishon- like dishonorable thing is just like yeah no that was good yeah they seem to be totally bonding over leaving him for dead like like you and me are bonding over you leaving me for dead you know yes yeah, your, your cowardly move is the first thing I could respect about you this entire time <laughs> at last you've been a coward <laughs> but now they receive a radio message they have to head to Dunkirk to fight the massing Brits there as seen in uh, recent movies so yeah next so time. Yeah. A mission that is uh, 
is can't succeed but must not fail, right? So I guess so. The real question is, why does a Scots bonnet on the road spell danger? That is an excellent question, and I cannot Seriously. wait to find out the answer. I guess, yeah, certainly will. Yeah, man, Hellman. That's a. It's such a weird story. Like I feel, I don't feel good about about like rooting for this German guy to succeed. You know. Also, I'm like. I get robbed of Hammer Force smashing anything because we get the flamethrower tank this time led by by oh, Kastner. Yeah. So I mean, flamethrower tank's still pretty cool, and like the you know a tank did crash into a wall. It was just sort of at the at the behest of that evil Kastner guy, so it wasn't um not quite yeah, as good it wasn't as a previous crashes. Thing, so much yeah, yeah, of yeah, like yeah. A, we got we got screwed, and we're trying not to get bombed right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just careened into it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but hey, it's just obviously not for material. Yeah, de- oh, no, C- Caster, no way, man. You gotta be, you gotta like feel bad about being a Nazi to be in Hammer Force or whatever. <laughs> you still gotta right. do, do the stuff. <laughs> but uh, but speaking of a uh, blind, uh, but speaking of blindly ma- smashing into things, Jason. <laughs> it's oh, I see where you're going. With that <laughs> story three, Blackjack, so- my man. So Blackjack is written by uh, John Wagner, and the artist is Trigo. Oh yeah, Blackjack! Um, My favorite nicknames, I feel like, in all of this comic exist in this line of stories. A lot of good names. Uh, So Blackjack himself is Jack Baron. He's pretty clearly based on Muhammad Ali, who is like, you know, of course, big in 1976. Sort of of telling, like, you know, the story of like an an, an agile boxer with a hard right hook and stuff. Um, he's also a black dude named Blackjack. I feel like we got to be clear about that right up, right That's from right. the a jump. Named Jack, so everybody calls Blackjack. It's great. It's it's, <laughs> it's real, like on the nose, you know. <laughs> but we open like so and- many of his punches. We're getting all we're hitting all the signposts today. <laughs> But we start with, and he's in the uh, in the fourth round of a fight against a guy named Tully, and he takes a hard jab to the head. I want to mention first of all that that uh, this guy being named Tully, a lot of the characters, a lot of, like the of the minor characters we'll see in these um, stories have the names of other writers in the comic. So like this guy is so like this. This guy they're fighting is named Tully, and like Tom Tully is going to write a couple stories this this month th- 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 this episode. I think there's a guy named Wagner in uh, Hookjaw. That's like this guy, uh, yeah, J- John Wagner. You know, it, yep. I, I I can't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure they're like that's making little thing. references to each other. <clears throat> You're missing an important part of Tully's name here. And speaking of just these amazing names, this is uh, known as quote unquote Irish. Tom Tully. They just call him Irish. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Listen, boxing, you got like, I, I feel like there are like uh, guys with that, like the nickname of Irish something in, um, in boxing. The name, the nicknames are all very, um, what you call it. They're very, like, there's just sort of, there's just sort of five nicknames. You know, it's, it's like how if your name is Ray, they're going to call you sugar no matter what, you know? <laughs> no matter how sweet you may or may not be, you know? <laughs> So we're we're dropped into the match against uh, with Irish versus Blackjack. Indeed, yeah. So he takes a a hard so Blackjack takes a hard jab to the, to the head, and suddenly he's seeing triple that quickly rallies to take down Tully. He's the talk of the boxing world. His next fight is a title eliminator to get a chance to become the British champ. But before that fight, he secretly goes to a doctor to have his eyes looked at and learns the truth. 
um, that if he keeps boxing, he'll go blind. So within a year, yeah, within a year, if he just keeps getting these jabs to the head, it's gonna be no good. Which, uh, I, he, which I'm hearing, he has a year window. I mean, that's definitely one way to see it. <laughs> He's walking. <laughs> oh, the street. I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that wasn't even intentional. Oh, air hordes. <laughs> but uh, so Blackjack walks the streets of London. He's thinking about retiring, but then he sees some toughs beating up some kids. He steps in, punches the crap out of them, and gets noticed by the kids. So he's got to give them like ringside tickets, basically. And that means that because he helped those kids, he's now inspired, <laughs> and now he can't quit or he'll discourage the youth. So he resolves. The streets. Yeah, so he resolves to become heavyweight champ of the world, even if he goes blind doing so. Oh, we missed. Uh, so just before, I mean, oh, we're going to continue on here. But uh, just as far as nicknames go, there was one other character here. Uh, I think I told you about before that I really love. This is uh, uh, this is his manager, right? Oh, uh, Yank, <clears throat> the American. Yes, yeah, the American, yeah, the American Yank Kresge. <laughs> And then, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I think his, 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 like, his, like the guy that's like, uh, that's like paying for all of his stuff is named Solly or something like that, too. It's just a good mix of boxing right. names in here, you know? Um, but yeah. One more that coming up here. <laughs> so he, uh, we jump ahead to the fight. He's fighting Pat Richards, who I believe is also a reference to writer Pat Mills. I don't know, but Blackjack's nine rounds in. It's the last round and Jacko has to knock Richards out to get to the championship. He goes down hard, but he sees those kids in the audience, and that gives him strength. So he comes up punching because he'd been fighting defensively to protect his eye, and now he realizes that the best off, best defense is a good offense, and he punches the crap out of Rich, out of Richards and wins. Thing like a bee. Exactly. After the fight, Jose Ortiz, the European champion, does that thing where like he touches the side of his face and calls him like black boy, and like ooh, that is some horse shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Basque beast. I mean, yeah, I love yeah. the boxing culture. The Basque being... beast. <laughs> Back at the gym, uh, the match is made for the European for or for the British Championship, where where uh, Blackjack will fight Steelman, the British champion. But it'll be five months out because Steelman has to fight Ortiz first. Blackjack is worried that in five months he'll be freaking blind, so he's got to go show up Ortiz. Um, he goes to where Ortiz is showing off his skill at the Basque national sport of rock lifting, which is a terrible national sport. Like, sorry, to Basques, but like, is that actually is that actually the national sport? I, I mean, forgot, there's a few I things for, that are certain I forgot to look it up. That, yeah, I wish I had bothered to look that up. There's a few that have been uh, they've been like, interesting assertions about, yeah. but. Sure, I'll take your word for it, but I don't know. (laughs) Um, Blackjack shows Ortiz up with rock lifting, though lifting a 300-pound boulder over his head. This causes Ortiz to challenge him to boxing! Uh, Back at the gym, yeah, Solly and Yank, Jack's trainers, realize (laughs) he must be doing something dumb, like challenging the dirty fighter Ortiz, so we gotta go save him! So, it makes me wonder what he's done in this past that they just immediately jumped to that conclusion like, with oh, no further no. evidence. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I mean, because he's sort of this Muhammad Ali standalone, I could imagine sort of being a kind of guy who's like mouth can get him into trouble or something like that. I don't know. Just as, as a guess. from the streets and all that. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, he, and he's tough from the streets. I think the important thing to remember is that like Blackjack has a real cool like British accent when he's doing all this stuff too, you know. Um right. Or, you know, it's got that Idris Elba thing going on or something. But, uh, it's so, that. yeah. Barrett and Ortiz have put on headgear and are, or, yeah, and are starting to fight as Yank Kresge, uh, Blackjack's trainer, shows up. 
Things are going bad for Blackjack as Ortiz fights dirty. He like hits uh, Blackjack when he's down and stuff. Jack admits to be- to uh, to to Yank that he's having eye problems, and Yank agrees to help him, telling him to go for a bolo punch at just the right minute, which is like bouncing off the rings and delivering a devastating uppercut. Yeah, I had to look that up. <laughs> they kind of mention it, but it's not super clear. But yeah, uh, he finally does it. This stuns Ortiz, and Blackjack beats him down until finally Ortiz falls to his knees, and they're like, oh, like, punch him now, because he punched you when he was down, and Blackjack's like, he's not worth it, and Ortiz just falls on his face. Oh, Which was so badass, really. Just super badass. Away. Yeah. Just it imagine explosions out- in the background. <laughs> I mean, there was explosions at least localized in Ortiz's jaw because his jaw is broken. And now the fight between Blackjack and Steelman for the British title is on. But his management team's team now knows about his eyes and are worried. Uh, Jack is just like, I just need two more fights. British championship, world championship. They're like, okay, I guess. And then it's time for training montage. Oh, yeah. And then then the next fight. But at the weigh-in... Jack recognizes the doctor that's going to do the medical inspection, and it's the same one who diagnosed his blindness! What's he going to do? (laughs) Next time, Blackjack wins the big fight. Or does he? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's interesting how pretty much everyone is willing to just go along with, like, "Eh, you'll be blind, but at least you'll be champ. I mean, it's one of these things where even in 1976, like, you know that no matter what's going to happen in this boxing match, like, this, you know, the boxer's going to get hit in the head a whole bunch of times, you know? Right. Like, <clears throat> there's only, there's, there's only so much level you can object to any one health decision a boxer makes and still be for them being a boxer, I guess. <laughs> like, like, at some point, I mean, it's just like, like, well, okay, but like, you know, like, you're still getting punched in the head, no matter, even if, it, even if there was nothing else wrong with you, that would still be pretty bad, you know? He spent the first two comics, like, not wanting to tell anybody, because he was, he's like, they'll never let me fight, they'll never let me fight. So yeah. this is what we learned about their characters. And then right, as soon yeah. as he tells them, everybody's like, oh, no, sure, why not fight? That is a good point. <laughs> yeah, he was really worried. It, it, it was one of those, it was like one of those things on like a, uh, on, on like a superhero TV show where no one on, on like Arrow wants to tell people their, their, their secret. And then when they tell the secret, everybody's cool with it. And it's like, well, okay, but like, why have you spent the last right. three episodes with you keeping the secret, you know? <laughs> no. uh, I mean, okay, you raise a good point though. This, this does suffer from the Arrow syndrome, which is, so many things will be resolved with a simple conversation, but right. where would just, the tension be? So yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, counterpoint. Like we're trying to have a comic book here, so like, don't be a jerk. You know, yeah, that's that's my counterpoint to me. You know, <laughs> but um, oh man. Speaking of uh, injured athletes, Jason, which we'll be doing a lot this ep- this episode. Oh, man. <laughs> it's story four. Play till you drop. <laughs> Uh, writer for Play Till You Drop, Ron Carpenter, artist Barry Mitchell. Football was Alex Dream. Was Alex Dream? Grice turned it into a nightmare. I just I want to point out for all, all of uh, our American listeners, football meaning soccer. Yes, indeed. Uh, which yeah. is what it means in most places. But right, can't stress enough. Yeah, it's all it's all British football, except for when they call it soccer at certain parts in this comic, which was very confusing to me. 
Like, why is it also soccer? Um, but so Alex Shaw is a striker for Rampton City, and he's real good, much to the chagrin of jerk reporter Grice. Um, Alex, Alec goes for a shot, but takes a hard tackle from the opposing side and is sent off for treatment. While recovering, Grice comes in and explains that he has evidence that Alex's father once took money to throw a match. If Alec wants his departed father's reputation to stay unblemished, he'd better pay 500 pounds. Um, Alec I'm is guessing sh- it's a lot of money back then. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, like, at this point it was like two to one, so it was, it was like a thousand bucks, which is like, I don't know, sort of adds up. Yeah. Alec is sure <laughs> that his dad is innocent, but will pay the blackmail until he can figure out how to deal with Grice. So next next time we see Alec, he's making money. So he's got to make more money. So he's wearing a bright yellow training suit from Slicka, a sports uh, company, and he's got like a brand new ball that he's got to try out from them. And he does it on the team goalie, earning money to pay Grice. But because he like shows up the goalie with a new ball, it's like straining his relationship with his teammates. Uh, later, yeah, and this is just after uh, he had told their trainer that he didn't care about money and was turning down. That's true. Yeah. Stuff. So that, that's a good so he point. made a point of telling the team that he didn't want money, and then next time they see him, hey, right. all about those sponsorships. That's right, yeah, yeah. In the, in the first comic, he definitely makes a big point that he's not in it for the money, that he just likes playing football and stuff. Yeah, and then suddenly he's all about it. Yeah, so um, later at an equipment signing, a stack of crates almost crushes some kids until Alex saves them, but the crates fall on his injured leg. Oh, jeez. He gets a, a, a painkiller injection and goes to play. And, act, and because he can't feel his leg at all, he accidentally stomps on a defender's hand and the ref yells at him and the crowd boos. Like, this whole pain blackmail situation's messing everything up. Um, yeah. Man, like, just jamming yourself full of painkillers doesn't seem like it's a good message for the youth, I must say, even if it does mess up with his play, you know? Um, so is it, uh, this is the part I was having trouble figuring out because he's desperate to stay on and he talks about like his team's winning record being mm. so like is he is it a paper are they paid by hour like hour <clears throat> i'm really confused about how these soccer players are paid mm-hmm. because he seems to indicate that he needs to be on the field and they have to be winning or else he's not going to make any money i, mean, I think i think i feel like he knows he's like the best player on the team so he's got to be out there scoring the goals and stuff but I, I don't think in this one, but I think later also they start talking about how there's like a uh, an award for the player who scores the most goals in the season and stuff. So oh. he does have sort of another other things to sort of be like, yeah, I got to stay on the field and keep scoring points specifically um, so that I can earn that big prize and stuff. Gotcha. Well, that numb leg ain't going to help, but... Nope. Yeah. <clears throat> Alex playing with a numb foot, and he's screwing everything up all over the place. He's missing shots. He's missing tackles and passes. Um, he's able to score with a header, but the, like, the goalie trying to defend against almost kicks his head off. Uh, finally on he's defense... He's his leg. Yeah. I mean, geez. He's just like, he's just losing all these parts. <laughs> <laughs> finally on defense, he does a, a, a really sloppy tackle on the other side to get to take a penalty kick. And he has to be taken off, and he gets booed off the field for the first time ever in his life. Um, the game ends with Rampton losing 4-2, to two, and Alec isn't even there because he's making spare money as a contestant on a sports game show. Which appears to be hosted by Lionel Richie, uh, at least based on this picture here. <laughs> Seems, and I'm I loving feel, it. I feel like that's right, you know? Like, listen, it's 1976. Like, anybody's hair can do anything at this point, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> that's another thing that's so I had to read this comic in particular, uh, this series multiple times because every other soccer player has the same haircut as Alec. Yeah. No, they, so yeah. I had to try to I had to try to find his uniform to try to figure it out. There's definitely uh, like a a type of person that's playing. Yeah, they all got like that kind of like weird long hair that's not like styled in any way. Like many of them, maybe have like a weird mustache or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So there's multiple times where I see people complaining, and I didn't realize that he was the one who had messed it up because I thought oh, it was another no. play automatically. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man. <laughs> These soccer players. But yeah, so they're all pissed off that he's at the game show and stuff. They're getting real angry about his money grubbing. We'll see what happens. We'll play till you drop next time. Well, the only time he'd been able to score was on that show, and that's... Oof. Yeah, because the, the, the show is this weird, like, you got to answer trivia questions, then you get close enough to, like, press a button to, like, shoot an, an electronic goal or something. It's yeah. It's one of these weird 70s British game shows, I guess. <laughs> But oh man! You do look here though that like Alec knows his trivia too. Like he Seriously. is a fan of the sport. He's he's not just this sport, but sports in general, right? Yeah, he so. knew who ran the first minute four, <laughs> four minute mile, like the first World Cup in Wembley Stadium. It's crazy. I would so, know. <laughs> at least you know that. Like I mean, yeah, he's really a a, a fan of the industry, and I mean, he takes the sport seriously, but. Yeah. You know, think people should realize it. so there's something else going on here yeah for real come on <laughs> but speaking of pausing to make some money or something it's uh non-stories covers editorials action and money man this is just all the stuff that isn't comics in these um in these early issues start with issue one action it's the sensational paper for boys action number one uh, this issue comes with a rubber band fired rocket called the Red Arrow. And, uh, you know, the cover features Striker, Killer, and Invader, which is uh, like, you know, Alex Shaw, Hookjaw, and Hellman. Yeah, man. Soccer, sharks, and tanks. Oh, my. I'm ready. Inside, we got some introductions. Uh, action has the toughest stories ever. Fast, fierce, fantastic. If you write in a letter, you can win like a skimmer disc, a pound, a one pound postal order, an action t-shirt, or either a, a model tiger tank or thunder chief jet. Um, we also get to know, uh, the two human staff members of the comic, uh, future 2000 AD comics editor Steve McManus, who is the action man, who's gonna be doing a whole bunch of stunts over the next few months, and the money man, real name Stuart Wales, who is apparently going to just be traveling through the countryside of England, giving out five quid to any kid who has the latest copy of Action and identify, sorry, and identifies him. Next stop is Croydon. Which yeah, I love, I love the, I love these because like between the travel costs and just handing out money. I mean, I, it's it's a real desperate it, like cry for attention for sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess as far as like I guess as far as startup costs, like if it starts getting people buying. Yeah, in a. But like, I mean, it's just like taking the bus someplace, mostly, you know, like sort of we're going to some random neighborhood or something. In um, in Steve McManus's book about 2000 AD, he also talks about action about like um, like like Stuart Wales going out to like be the money man thing and sort of like surreptitiously like wandering around uh around towns like kind of worried about what happened if a bunch of kids actually found him and stuff. <laughs> Like, it's a weird situation, you know? 
Yeah, I'm surprised he never got jumped, honestly, but maybe I'm just speaking through the lens of my own childhood. I mean, I feel like there was, I feel like there were some uncomfortable moments. I feel like, and it ha- and as they go on, there's also like more rules are added to the action man or, 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 or to the money man situation. I think as a way to, um, like let Stuart live his life, basically. <laughs> Very yeah. Later in the issue, we get some more stuff. There's a section of a uh, there, there's like a uh, a, th- a thing. There's a, a cool secret agent pen for under a quid. A bunch of random facts. Close up picture of something. And Action Mouse, a comic where a mouse boxes his shadow and gets a black eye from it. Uh, it, la- it never goes well for the mouse. Spoilers. <laughs> mouse loses a lot. Later, there's like this big sports sports section, including a first person interview with Les Collins, a 17 year old motor bike racer who today runs a racing school in australia oh cool yeah there's also some comics like some soccer tips and sort of asking for nominations for the twit of the week uh then finally there's a feature of mcmanus doing some action stuff this time he's blowing fire at a circus so did do you know if mcmanus actually did all of the stunts that yeah, are i believe he did this week yeah I mean, it's, it's a pretty interesting step in here. No, I mean, there's some neat, there's some fun things for sure. It's very like you know, he only does it for for like you know maybe like twenty or so issues. Um, but yeah, there's some like weird stuff that kind of like just like all right, we got to figure out something to do. I don't know. <laughs> in issue two, Dredger is as tough as your boot as is as tough as your boots, and then there's a giant shark coming to eat you. <laughs> in inside, Steve McManus tells us about both the giant hookjaw patch that's in this this week's issue. And Money Man's going to Derby. Also, there's a caption oh. contest for a robot choking a dude, which is kind of funny. Um, I do, I do love that the instructions for the patch are basically get your mom to do it. Those are the greatest. Yes, <laughs> like that is actually printed in there, folks. Oh, I'm yeah. not like I'm not just summarizing. That's what it says. Like, there's some helpful tips for your mom if she doesn't know how to do it. But it's definitely right. not like like listen, you should do this. Maybe bother your mom's. Like, no, this is for moms. <laughs> There's more random facts, more requests for Twitter of the Weeks, another close-up. We last one last week's was a cat's eye on the road. There's an action mouse where he shoots some ducks that are flying in a V, and they then form into the word mist to laugh at him. Um there's a I, thing where I, you're supposed to so listen. Oh good. Uh, sorry, I just want one note about Please. this. Please. The reaction of the mouse to that is a stomp on the gun, and the gun crumples. I have to feel like maybe it was less the ducks. And more the fact that you used a gun that could crumble. <laughs> Maybe he's just super strong because he's like fights his shadow in mythological oh. combat, you know? <laughs> oh, he doesn't like black his own eye. Okay, so maybe yeah. it's just this mouse has superpowers. That's what I'm this saying. The, the he's a mouse that walks around, thing. you know? <laughs> it's not that he's too weak, it's just that he's too strong. And exactly. Can't yeah, it's too, I can't you know, handle them. Yeah, absolutely. Later, there's like this thing where you're supposed to identify top footballers just by looking at their eyes, which like, good luck, kids from 1976. I, <laughs> I can't do that. Um, there's a mini football, or sorry, a, a mini pinball game for under a quid, and instructions for eyeing on your on your hookjaw patch. Like Jason said, the instructions are indeed get your mum to do it for you. <laughs> also, hey Jason. Have yeah. you ever come home starving hungry to find your favorite nosh ready and waiting for you? Because that's the same feeling action gives you. <laughs> Later. I, okay. Your favorite nosh, buddy. Later. I can't stand away from oh, for me. I'm, I'm trying, like, I have to imagine that coming home and having my favorite nosh waiting for me, what that feels like based on 
how I felt reading action comics. And I have to imagine it feels pretty good. Well, maybe one day I'll get to experience that. Seriously. Yeah. My notches are never, my favorite notch is never ready. It's terrible. <laughs> Later, Steve hangs out with us 10 foot boa constrictor at the Chessington zoo. And there's more soccer tips. Then there's a, a first person interview with table tennis pro Paul Day. He wants to, but did not represent the UK in the world table tennis championships at Peking, China. And this article is real weird because there's a, there's a crazy cell phone, um, at the end of it where he says like, Oh, I'm a little pudgy. I got to lose some weight. Like Jesus, dude. Like be, you know, be proud of yourself, man. Right. But I think it's, it's more like they've just sort of got the vital statistics on these guys and they're sort of writing a first person person like article about it you know what i mean i mean um, yeah you always have to have goals to aspire to like if you're already top of your game and they're telling you like what do you want to improve yeah i guess know, that's true if, if you just want to spot like oh, i have to come up with something i can yeah. i can lose some weight i guess <laughs> ridiculous uh the end of the comic teases two upcoming things a free soccer superstar cards and the start of the magnum force board game and like that makes sense uh, yeah, I'm excited for this board game. I like how it says it's the game of the 70s, which might have made sense in 1976, but now sounds like it makes it so old, you know? <laughs> in Prague 3, hey, there's man-eating sharks inside, but this cover is all about soccer and Magnum Force. <laughs> um, inside, there's more caption contests, a race car kit for under a quid, and the money man is on his way to Manchester. Uh, it's I, it already like I think they, sh- they show some of the anxiety here. The picture here is of yeah. someone with a gun to his head. Right? <laughs> it's ridiculous. What's going on? No need to hold him up. They say it's not He's that serious, guys. <laughs> Uh, inside the comic, we see Steve getting his ass kicked by some dudes from the UK Karate Do Wadokai Foundation, the uh, the UK Karate st- uh, uh, Club. There's also the start of the Magnum Force board game, including the uh, top left of the board and some game tokens and stuff. The board features this bald KGB dude in a very snappy pinstripe suit, I must say. So epic. (laughs) Later, there are again requests for for Twitter of the Week. Like, you know, this is one of these things in this, like, in the first couple issues of these comics. Like, it's weekly. So, when they ask for letters, it takes some time for, like, the letters to actually, like, start coming in from kids and stuff. But here here they promise us we'll be getting our first one. So, So next time around, we'll actually get to start uh, reviewing these these nominations. Very excited for these little (laughs) kids writing in. Oh, I'd like there to be more action, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Oh yeah! So uh, there's all yeah. There's also a, clo- a close-up of something else. Last time was the, the top of an electric light bulb. There's more random facts, which are all sports themed this time, and then previews for upcoming things like a junior angler competition, a chance to win a sailing dinghy, and action man joining the army. On the back page, there's an interview with Peter Coyne, the goalkeeper for Manchester United. Action Mouse messes up his throw at the World Boomerang Championship, and there's still more soccer tips. Oh my! God, there's so many soccer tips. At least in this time, the action mouse, I'll say for him this time, he's not the one that gets hurt. No, no, no. This time, yeah, he throws his boomerang and it flies through his legs and then hits the judge right in the head. <laughs> so he fails. <laughs> the, the I mean, it's, it's a step up. You lost the, the competition, but it wasn't at the cost of your own skull. So. That's right. It took someone else out. And speaking of murderous animals, it's <laughs> Story 5, Hookjaw. <laughs> oh. I mean, this, and this is yeah. this is the the comp, this is like you know every cover they 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 build this one heavily. Everybody yeah. wants to see the killer oh, shark, yes. right? 
Yes, yeah, the writers, Pat Mills, the artist was Roman Sola, and this is by far, indeed, the most famous action story. Hookjaw time! It's a story of a cold-blooded killer and a great white shark. That's right! <laughs> That's so right! <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna. I, I gotta go go and high five you for that one. That's excellent. In uh, in <laughs> nineteen, that one. <laughs> yeah, in in 1972, a bunch of jerks are game fishing in the Caribbean when one of them pulls up a great white shark. But the shark fights back, tossing one of them into the water and snapping off the gaff hook that's jammed into its jaw. It eats the dude that fell off and swims away with the hook still stuck in its face. The legend of Hook Jaw begins. A year later, an oil derrick is being built in the same area when divers come under attack from Hookjaw. It bites the leg off Wagner as chief diver Rick Mason scares off a nearby uh, tiger shark. Meanwhile... Mason's not named for anybody, is he? What? No, Mason's no. not named for anybody. Only, okay. only side characters are, I feel like. Like, if, if oh, you're going to die it, it. or you're going to get beaten by Blackjack in a fight or something, like, if it's a throwaway name, that's one of the... Uh, character, then it's it's one of these writers' names, you know. That's actually pretty excellent. You can get your name in the comics, but only yeah. if you get your laser ripped off. Yeah, listen, John, like, I'll toss you in there. You can be the first dude that gets eaten by Hookjaw, whatever. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, this guy Banyan's air hose is slashed by Hookjaw's fin. Because so, apparently, like, you know, everybody talks about the hook. Everybody talks about the jaw. No one talks about the fact that Hookjaw has a razor-sharp dorsal fin that cuts stuff pretty regularly, honestly. Um, yeah, at least once a comic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so Banyan drops his weight belt and swims to the surface, but he, you know, he's got like the explosive decompression, which causes body to literally explode, which is not how that works. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I see it right here, and these are more realistic comics. That's true. So that's that's very true. Now, yeah. now a mess of guts and blood across the skirt, uh, surface of the water. Now, so yeah. I mean, I I know in, in real life, like 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 that sort of decompression stuff will kill you, but I think it just sort of like maybe will like turn you pink or something, like as your blood vessels pu- uh, uh, burst. But I don't think it will be like your blood is suddenly made of nitroglycerin, basically, like as it is for Banyan here. The fool should have known better, as we're told here in the comic. Yeah, absolutely. Mason surfaces and he yells the drift at the drill owner, McNally, but McNally is undeterred. We're drilling here, even if he has to kill Hookjaw personally, which he tries to do. (laughs) He flies out in a helicopter with a rifle and tries to shoot Hookjaw. McNally assumes that the sharks drawn by his blood will finish off the beast, but instead Hookjaw kills another shark and then sneaks away in the chaos because he's a smart murder shark. Um, is this another one of the razor fin actions? Like, oh no, it, he uses the hook in the jaw. Yeah, he uses the jaw. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's got a lot of weapons. He's like a Swiss Army shark, you know. Um, <laughs> It's tough because the shark's fighting then messed up the core sampler, which has put off drilling. Ooh, that hook jaw! Fist shaking! <laughs> um, in the next story, like, oh, it's a gusher! The Derek has hit oil! There's actually, like, a pretty cool, I think, like, kind of big picture by, by, by Roman Sola here of, like, just this giant oil Derek with, like, oil flying out of it and stuff, which is pretty cool. So I'm guessing they got the part they needed from Florida. Yeah, who knows? You know, jump ahead a little bit. Um, (laughs) Now they have to cap the oil, and that means going down with those sharks. Meanwhile, the mail boat is arriving. (laughs) Or at least it was until Hookjaw freaking eats the whole mail boat, (laughs) including the father (laughs) and son aboard. And all McNally can say is, oh, he ruined our mail! (laughs) I swear Hookjaw gets bigger every one of these. I mean, I feel like he can... 
I was, this is the thing that goes with these like murderous monsters or uh, murderous animals where their size changes to fit the situation, you know? Cause like there, there yeah. can be points where Hookjaw is like small enough to escape through something, you know? But he's also big enough that as we see now, when, um, the divers go down to, uh, cap the oil and then they start showing up, one of the divers with an oil smeared mask, <laughs> swims into Hookjaw's open mouth thinking it's the just, diving bell. <laughs> he thinks it's just yep, a cave. All the, way, all the way in. No no touching of shark involved. Last, That's my... last issue was only big enough to catch somebody's legs. This time swallowed whole. That's, yeah. I gotta say, that is my this is this is one of my favorite uh images in comics history. Just this dude <laughs> innocently swimming straight into the open mouth of this giant shark. There's sharks everywhere. Better just swim blindly in this direction. Ooh, a cave. I hope countries. it's safe in here. <laughs> yeah. Don't let As, my friends grab me. Nope. Yeah. As the diving bell is raised, Hookjaw cuts the line until the divers have to make a new plan. McNally grabs a harpoon gun and tries to shoot Hookjaw, but instead kills one of his own dudes in one of actually quite a few situations where people accidentally shoot their own guys because someone dodges out of the way of a bullet in the course of this comic. <laughs> And, oh, man. part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. So the others escape, and Jason, uh, sorry, and Mason once again yells at McNally, and McNally does not care. (laughs) Right, I mean, we have a cold-blooded monster here that is uh, just out to, after one single-minded focus. Yeah. And it's a kill shark to stop him. Listen, like, yeah, I mean, because at the best, at best point, McNally is like going to start drilling oil out of like the Caribbean. Like, that's not cool either, man. Like, this is, you know, he's not a good guy. The, you know, Mason's kind of a good guy, but, but, but Hookjaw is the real good guy in this story. We can all agree on it. Um, right. The, the, di- the protagonist. Yeah, especially once we see who they come to come kill Hookjaw, as the divers won't dive, so McNally is called in famous shark hunter Carl Cruiser. Who is super evil looking? Super evil looking shark hunter. Um, they're planning. Also German? Su- yeah, also German. A lot of Germans too, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, it is their go to. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, you know, good general purpose bad guy for sure. Their, their plan is simple. They're going to bait some meat with plastic explosive and then blow up the beast from the inside out. But when the time comes, the meat gets eaten by a tiger shark instead. And Wait, ex- what? There's other sharks? There's like so there many other sharks. Yeah. I- how did we not see that coming? I, don't, I feel like, okay. I feel like it's yeah, like well, like what? There might be other sharks eating meat, but how could how could this be? Most sharks are vegetarians. <laughs> the, ex- <laughs> the, ex- the explosive only stuns uh, Hookjaw. So Cruiser goes to finish him off with a harpoon, but Hookjaw wakes up, starts thrashing, eats the hunter's crew and boat. <laughs> well, he chose the wrong weapon. It, like he gave Hookjaw PTSD by using the same hook that was originally buried in. His- yeah, and yeah, triggered him. He loses it. Yeah, like it just went into instinct mode. There's a good moment oh, where uh, where Cruiser desperately tries to kill Hookjaw with his bare hands by grabbing his gills, and Hookjaw just tosses him off. Like, screw you, dude. <laughs> that was a uh, epic moment. Though. I gotta say, like, out of all the reactions so far I've seen from divers being like, "Screw it, I'm going for the gills." Yeah, I, that's good. I, yeah, <laughs> I got a little bit of 
like recruits are there over most of the people that have appeared so far. <laughs> right. Mason tries, or Mason manages to save Cruiser, drags him back to the derrick where McNally refuses to pay him. And when, he, and when Cruiser like pulls a gun, like McNally like takes the money and throws it at Cruiser and causes him to fall, Cruiser to fall off the uh, side of the derrick and get eaten by, by, by Oakjaw. So the money's just floating in there, like, if you want the blood money, go get it, as the money is itself literally stained by the blood of all the dudes that have died this week. <laughs> this, I'm, I'm, I'm half surprised, and I mean, I shouldn't, because Mason is supposed to be kind of the upstanding individual. I'm half surprised he didn't just throw it throw in with Cruiser at this point and take over the rig and just be like, we're, we're done here. Throw him in. Yeah. We're, 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 we're packing up and going home. It was a shark accident. No one's going to question this. I'm super surprised <laughs> that he's still sticking around. Cause I got to say like after the first person at the, at a job site gets eaten alive by a giant shark and there seems to be no way to deal with it. Like I'm out. I don't need, I don't need to be, I don't need to be proven to me. I like, I, I have no qualms about saying that this shark won, you know? Right. <laughs> like, this is the part that's yeah, confusing to me about Mason is he keeps talking about how not worth it it is and how the money's not important. But, but what like, why are you still there, buddy? Sticking around. <laughs> I mean, I guess the counterpoint is that every boat that comes to the Derrick is immediately destroyed by Hookjaw. So it's not like there's a way that he could leave at this point, but. I mean, I guess it's, yeah, that's a fair point. They had to get the parts somehow. They had to get supplies. Yeah, you know. I don't know. It's that, you, Hookjaw has ignored him, Mason specifically, multiple times. I feel like right. Hookjaw is trying to let him know it's yeah, time can, for you to get out. He, he can <laughs> taste the goodness in him. He can smell it in the water. <laughs> like, all right, like you can live, but you got to get out of here at some point, buddy. <laughs> but he just oh keeps man, diapers in. Also, how mm-hmm. do they still have people left in this rig? They seem to be. A lot of people die each dive, you know? <laughs> like, right. Like, at least a dozen people have died in scene, like, that we've seen. Yeah, and, they I'm lose wondering. every red shirt every time. It's just McNally and Mason that comes back from each dive, you know? So, oh, man. Begin, even though he says that they should all leave and save lives. I, uh, you know, Mason That's super fair. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to put he got to put up or shut up here. Yeah, next time on Don Hookjaw, what's so terrifying about baby white sharks? Probably everything, really. I, I mean, doesn't they don't sound safe? I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't feel like that's a question. Indeed. Oh man. And speaking of, I guess going back to previous ones of speaking of uh, injured athletes, oh, it's story six: sports not for losers. Like, they just really lead into this now. <laughs> <laughs> Writer Steve McManus, Arter Dudley Wynn. So this is actually written by the action man himself. Um, so, Dan Walker, Jason, is a badass teenage hurdler. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, what I've learned from action comics is that uh, teen athletes are basically superheroes. What I've learned <laughs> is that there's just this underground constant set of uh, track meets being run, not associated with schools, not associated with like anything. It's just like it's like need. It's like uh, it's like Fast and the Furious, but for like teenagers running fast. In the course yeah, and there's good money in that stuff. All right, I guess I mean, so. It's, it's hard out there on the streets. Yeah, it is hard out there for sure. Um, at the big race, though, Dan gets punched in the face by another kid. He falls and seriously damages his ankle. Um, at the doctor, he's told he can't blame run. For it. <laughs> yeah. And is repeatedly blamed for hurting his ankle. After it's true. It's true. Yeah, the doctor <laughs> says he can't run for another year. And everybody's like, why'd you fall? That was stupid. He's like, I, I couldn't, didn't do it on purpose. 
<laughs> she he just goes, apologizes. He's like, it realizes that as shame over allowing himself to get punched in the face unexpectedly during. So, I, what I'm learning is that hurdling is, in fact, a blood sport yes. in 70s uh, England, and getting punched in the face. It's just a matter is a matter of course, and it was his fault for not dodging. The underground <laughs> blood sport of teenage hurdling is really the story that we all need. I think um, he goes home. His dad is super disappointed about it. Like his dad is like near suicide because he wanted his kids to be champions, like he was. But now his one son Dan is crippled, and his other son's uh, son Len is a useless layabout. So he just like puts up his newspaper in front of him because he can't even bear to look at Dan anymore. It's, it's just awesome. a titular loser that the sport is not for, according <laughs> to everyone. By Indeed. the way. So later, uh, Dan sees Len being threatened and attacked by some rough kids, but Len uh, sprints out, out sprints a moped and then hurdles over a wall to escape them, and that gives Dan an idea. Maybe Len can become a champion hurdler, and then he just walks up to him, just slaps the cigarette out of his face because now he's running, because now he's doing hurdles. <laughs> yeah. You are now my proxy. You don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, now do my will. You are the blaster to my master. <laughs> so <laughs> Also, they look nothing alike for for being siblings. Mm-mm, no, like like Len's real tall and has like dark hair and like Dan is like shorter and has blonde hair and stuff. I'm interested to see what uh the Walker mother looks like in this case, right. you know. And she's not there, like, so who knows. <laughs> Dan doesn't look like his father either. Like, the father looks a lot like Lynn, so... Yeah. Like, did he hmm. adopt the champion? Because he was, like... Whoa. He didn't trust Lynn to... <laughs> that's, a, that's a good wrinkle that I'm very excited about um, for us to have a fan theory for, for sure. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to ride I'm gonna ride that one right now. Right. Get some, found him a winner. Right. Some <laughs> Sports Not For Losers fan fiction. It's, it's time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan has gotten a job washing up at a local cafe... When in come, comes Len smoking and with his gang of, uh, you know, no good necks, basically. But Dan manages to entice Len because there's a race this Saturday and the winner gets 10 quid. Oh, with 10 quid, I could buy some Elton John platform shoes. <laughs> that is the best motivating reason, factor I've ever seen in for, any piece of media ever. And no motivating factor is more 1976 than that, for sure. <laughs> After not letting him, after not letting him eat any chips and, uh, le- and having Len train or, uh, train in hurdles in a big training montage, we get going at the race. Len goes for an early start, but then fades, but support from his brother and visions of Elton John platforms lets him pour on speed at the end for the win. Uh, but in the, then this is a, the greatest victory in a in a deep deep turn of fate. Instead of ten quid in cash, his brother gives him ten pounds worth of new running shoes. He'll need them to get what really ready to some real hurdling. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> oh man! Here you go. Here's your reward. You get nothing but uh, preparation to do more of this. Which Stop you didn't smoking. Want to do in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Len, Len isn't training and Dan goes to find him. He searches all of his, all of his haunts and he finds Len being a real asshole at the movies. He's stolen like the usher's flashlight and is shining it at people. He like puts his feet up on people's shoulders and the seats in front of him and stuff. Just the worst. Just, oh my God. Um, 
He gets kicked out of the theater. He gets kicked out by the theater manager and Dan and Led head home to train. Another training montage later and they're at the Titans Athletics Club to get better, to get, find some better training partners only to find out that the club secretary is the theater manager. Whoops. What a twist. The, the club secretary, however, gives Len a chance on the back of Dan's success, and Len is set to race this random dude. It's a hard-fought race that Len almost wins but doesn't, and things look bad until the secretary reveals that the random dude is actually, like, this guy who's nicknamed Beanpole, who's the winner of the national title and hurdles and stuff. He, he, uh, he got to the, uh, the real races, you know, came clean, mm, got in that straight and narrow yeah, official... Yeah, yeah. Now, race now he circuit. races, yeah, in, in, in the non-blood sport races, which are fine, but lack a certain something, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> so he compliments Len, and Len is allowed to join the club. Now it's time to train even harder. Next time on Sports Not for Losers, a gang rumble with the Spitz Mob. I do enjoy that the, the story arc is basically, Len is in trouble, it gets bored, is willing to train, then goes race. Yeah, like then, yeah. all of the all of the training just comes out of like, oh, I ran out of other things to do. I guess I might as well. <laughs> well, I mean, there are training montages, which is good, I, I, I guess you know. But it's very like, let's just spend the afternoon like with my little brother yelling at me as I like do suicides in the backyard or something like that. Which, right. yeah, whew, I don't know if I'd be down for that. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah, six days out of the week, um, yeah, carousing with my friends. Get bored of that, spend three hours training with my little brother, and eh, I'm champion I mean, material. Yeah, he does seem to be winning, so I guess it's hard to it's hard to argue with success, right? <laughs> right. That's the thing. <laughs> I do uh, like that they gave him a race he lost, even if it was against like this champion. Right, right. Yeah, put some put some adversity in there a little bit, I suppose. But speaking of uh, people hitting a ton of adversity, uh, uh, Jason, I'm sorry. Oh my god. People hitting a lot of adversity, Jason. It's Story 7 The Coffin Sub. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, writer Ron Carpenter, artist The Gialetti <laughs> Agency. So okay, this is on record as Action's least popular story of all time. Um... <laughs> So it's like whatever. It is grim. It's super grim. I mean, I know it's called the cup and sim sub. I yeah, I get it. But like, you think that that sets the expectation, and then you read it, and you're like, that was still more grim than I expected. It's it's grim, but it's also just kind of a straight war story. Like it's not even like trying to like innovate, like like Hellman is or something. It's just kind of like the I'm a submarine captain and I want to die. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean that's that's the long and short of it, really. I mean, yeah. except for the this first one, the introduction. Yeah, it I mean, starts off. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's it's 1941. The conquest is a um, captain is the conquest is a British sub captain by Lieutenant Commander Mark Kane. It's hunting access ships. They take on a pair of Italian destroyers, take one out, then get hit by depth charges. They, you know, do the standard uh, submarine movie thing where they, like, uh, send out, like, a torpedo out, like, some oil and some corpses to make it seem like the whole thing has been destroyed. Which seems to work, but it turns out that actually water has breached the sub's batteries and they can't, and they can't surface and the sub is filling with deadly chlorine gas. Desperately, Kane opens the hatch to try to save the ship, but instead he just gets bl- he just gets blasted clear of the of the sub, and the whole thing goes down with all with all hands aboard except for him. And it's That's just crazy. Just such a, it's super like, it's, super grim. <laughs> like, like I thought a lot of people died in Hookjaw, 
And this no, more, yeah, just blew that out of the water. Way more people die <laughs> in just this first coffin sub than anywhere else, for sure. Um, it's like 20 dudes or something. But um, eventually, though, Kane is uh, recovered. He's cleared of uh, responsibility and is and set to retake command of the ship once it's been repaired. And, like, they've just freaking aired it out from all the corpses being in there, I guess. Um <laughs> Right. But the crew is like, says, you know, they're like, oh, he looks haunted and that this ship is unlucky. It's a coffin sub. And yeah, man, like, I don't, I mean, listen, it's 1941, right? So they don't really have an idea of like PTSD or anything like that. Right. But it seems pretty messed up to put somebody back in command of a ship where everybody else died except for you, except for the guy on it, you know? Well, like, it blows my mind that like the average sailor is looking at this guy and is just like, he just wants to die, and we're under his command. Yeah, this, but, is, like, this is bad. <laughs> the, 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 the leadership's just like, you know what? We didn't find Jeff Fault. You're back in command. Go ahead. Here's a sub. Here's a bunch yeah. of people. Go nuts. Like, Yeah, live it up, you know? <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so the conquest is back in action. An enemy convoy has been spotted, and Kane is going after it on the surface. They get in among the enemy and start blasting away as a second-in-command is worried about Kane's bloodlust. The um, enemy escort destroyer comes their way, and Kane personally starts machine gunning it. They escape underwater to avoid it, and there's a cool giant octopus in that uh, uh, panel too, which is which is very nice. Um, there's a straggler from the convoy, and Kane has the conquest go beneath it, sneaking into a German port over the objections of the second in command. Um, this part's actually kind of cool. I yeah, got <laughs> In the port, they just start blowing everything up, and it's real awesome. But they seem to be trapped. Uh, they're they're taking hits, like the ship's like bouncing around and stuff. Kane starts bleeding from a cut on his head, and only the timely intervention of some RAF bombers allow them to escape. And the lieutenant is super nervous because Kane is can only think of avenging his dead crew, no matter what happens to his current crew. Right. Where did the RAF come from, though? When I don't it, know. Did somebody secretly radio for help because they don't <laughs> Yeah, like, I gotta think somebody was like, uh, okay, like, I don't know about this plan. I'm gonna send a Morse code message just in case. <laughs> yeah, because that certainly didn't happen on the page. Like, it no. was just like, well, they're stuck, and then all of a sudden... Uh, Air Force saved him, but yeah. those and bombers don't like, usually just show up on their own. Yeah, it's not like Kane <laughs> knew that there was going to be a bombing raid there also, you know? <laughs> like, he was really... Right, yeah. He was 100% planning to um, to just do a suicide attack on that port, and when the lieutenant said no, he slapped him in the face, you know? <laughs> like, it's bad times. <laughs> so, that was mind-blowing. But I, yeah. I'm going to have to go with someone who was just like, oh god, oh god, oh god, please, 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 please. This <laughs> <laughs> is a plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the final one uh, for the con- for uh, for coffin sub as the conquest goes to pick up a British agent working with Yugoslav partisans. Kane and a red shirt go ashore to pick up the agent, but come under fire from German troops. Kane guns them all down with no regard for his safety, and then has the conquest blow up a bridge that German reinforcements are coming in on. A couple of patrol boats turn up, and the and when the conquest's gun, guns jam, 
Kane has the submarine freaking ram them, which I didn't even know submarines could ram ships. Like, I didn't think they had enough. Neither did any of the rest of the crew. Yeah, like, above water, like, prow to be able to, to ram stuff. Like, Germans jump from their ships onto the deck of the submarine, and Kane gets them off by having the sub-hydroplane above the water to, like, knock them off. It's ridiculous. Which also avoids a torpedo fired at them. That's right, and then <laughs> they... Um, take that guy down and sail off into the sunset. And the, uh, the agent they picked up is like, and I thought, I, you know, I just spent like a year fighting alongside Yugoslavian partisans in the heart of the Eastern Front. And this is way rougher than that. <laughs> Which makes me wonder why they sent Kane to pick up someone they actually wanted to get back. I, I just gotta think that like no, none of the brass are actually looking Kane in the face when they've done anything about this. No one's like, <laughs> think like, hey, like, just... what's going on with Kane? Because it seems like if you look at Kane, you're like, whoa, <laughs> this guy should be in command. Any log, any record of his actions so far, yeah. I, I just don't see him try sending him to pick up someone. Right, or to like Eliminate, continue maybe. being in control of like an expensive submarine. You know? <laughs> well. I'm, I'm taking that as a given at this right. point because it's, it's still going. Yeah, no, he, yeah, that's true. He definitely seems like your go-to guy for suicide missions as opposed to uh, missions that you want to actually succeed. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to get more reason to live. Maybe this is all an elaborate plot to recapture someone that's really valuable to their organization. Whoa. So that it's a military, it's a <laughs> operation. Oh, man. Maybe. I don't know, uh, though. Fan <laughs> theories are going to come to fruition watch we're going to see evidence for these later i'm, I'm just excited. throwing them out there right now i'm excited about 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 these crumbs being recovered and hey speaking of athletes being injured it's story eight the running man <laughs> so is it in every other it's some sort of some story athlete injured some story athlete injured is that what we're i mean it seems kind like of well, no, because there were a couple in a row, but because de- like because uh, like blackjack and um, play till you drop were in a row, but th- it definitely is. It definitely is half the stories are stories about athletes being injured. <laughs> oh, at least this one he's not being injured. Super- oh, go ahead. I said I told you they're superheroes. Oh like, yeah. This, this, yeah, these are basically just more action stories. Fair enough. <laughs> so it's 1970, Jason. <laughs> Uh, a dude named Vito robs a bar in New York City, shoots a cop, and then rundowns another one. And it turns out that this Vito guy is Vito Scarlatti, son of Don Scarlatti, one of the mob rulers of New York, and he's killed five cops in the last 12 weeks. All and, over store robberies. Right, he's just robbing, robbing stores stores. for fun, killing cops as he goes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the oh, heat started... Richard. Yeah, the heat's starting to ratchet up, and the Don, confined to his bed, has a plan. A week later, a man named Mike Carter is in New York to run <clears throat> in New York to run the five thousand meters at Yankee Stadium, presumably part of a much more extensive long distance running blood sport situation. Um, <laughs> and you know how we do in America. That's right. As he arrives at the hotel, a goon makes a call, and soon champagne is sent to Carter's room. When he opens it, it. Ex- Explodes into his face. Uh, great art here, just as like the champagne explodes and like this white phosphorus bomb, and you see him like running around this hotel. People on the street are like pointing up at his hotel window, like, "Oh, get the fire brigade!" He's also obviously new to the states. He, well, he's like a Brit, champagne yeah. was sent to him from an Italian name, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll open it. Yeah, why not? I was expecting go wrong. I wasn't expecting champagne. What what, what could be the possible? What, what could be the possibilities? Um, 
He wakes up in a hospital bed. He's his face is covered in bandages, and he's had plastic surgery apparently to fix his face. But the doctor and nurse are not really answering his questions. When they leave, Carter removes the bandages, and his face is completely different. And just FYI to the reader, he's got Vito Scarlatti's face. He gets dressed and finds out that he's not in a hospital, but actually just in like a warehouse in the New York City docks. Things are getting weird. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> he uh, he goes to flag down a police car, but they think he's Vito Scarlatti and open fire. So now Carter has to run for his life. All of this is super fascinating. They don't think it's weird that Vito Scarlatti is waving at them with, and, without a gun, even despite the fact that he shot or hit every cop that he's seen so far and then they don't even try to like arrest him they just immediately open fire too right and then he outruns the car oh yeah he's fast (laughs) because athletes are superheroes that's right well i think like the running man here i don't think the movie had actually come out yet but both this story and like the dentist stuff in dredger this week seemed like a pretty big reference to the to the movie marathon man with uh, dustin hoffman and stuff who is like this distant distance runner who like because he runs marathons is able to like ignore pain or something like that um and sort of avoids german spies and does all this stuff and one of the german spies is this uh is like a de- is like an evil dentist who like drills his teeth without anesthetic and stuff that feels very like both, in- inspiring both of those you know now my teeth are aching yeah but no, i just it, also didn't think that a distance runner necessarily was running 30 plus miles per hour it's super fair. I mean, maybe the dock's real crowded, so they got to kind of go slow to, like, dodge things. But nah, he just outruns them. Um, the cops chase awesome. him, and they hit an oncoming truck. Heavens to Betsy! <laughs> um, I guess all, a fair amount of people die in this one, too. Yeah, all three all cops. three cops die in this car crash, for sure. As right. Carter makes his escape. Um, he reads a newspaper and finds out that he's wearing the face of Vito Scarlatti. He's got to find answers, but it's hard to find anyone in the concrete canyons of New York City. So he spends two weeks living as a tramp, eating out of garbage cans and getting beaten up by by other bums for eating out of the wrong garbage cans until he finally sees the guy who gave him the explosive champagne in a restaurant. He follows the man home and breaks into his apartment because he wants answers. But this goon, Costello, won't talk. Not even after Carter jams his hand into a uh, fish, uh, into a, uh, whatever, a fish tank full of piranhas that he'd his hand off. <laughs> and this is, uh, you see a, a little bit of an edge start to develop for this, like, fresh-faced runner that it's came true. from. Yeah, he's very, very <laughs> quick to use animal-based tortures, I, I will say. Um, but instead of giving the information, Costello jumps through the window of his high-rise apartment to his death. <laughs> Seemingly out of clues, Mike answers Costello's phone and learns that Vito Scarlatti was sent to San Francisco, so that's where he's going to. He tries to get a bus ticket, but the bus driver notices him. Mike beats him up and realizes that the driver is a driver for the bus to San Francisco. So, (laughs) Mike Carter... (laughs) Puts on his clothes and some dark glasses and begins to drive and out on this bus to San Francisco. But oh no, the American American highway system's very confusing. The ultimate cliffhanger. Say, <laughs> I, and then I love that 
He's like, I have shades on. Nobody will recognize me now. Right. So the co- so the cops have set up a roadblock to stop the bus, but they haven't counted on Mike Carter's unfamiliarity with the American highway system. So he misses the he misses he misses his exit and continues going south to Washington D.C. And they're just like, oh, why he didn't he didn't take the right exit? What's going on? And. But it's funny because the people on the bus also know what exit he should be taking. So they start getting, like, they start rioting in this bus, like, trying to take the wheel from him and stuff. It's crazy. Welcome to the States. Seriously. Um, a police helicopter flies over and demands he gives up. And they start shooting at him in the bus, which is full of people. So it's full of, yeah. What was, what was the plan here? So instead, Mike jumps out of the door of the bus and like makes his way across the highway with the helicopter in hot pursuit. He just finds his way to a nearby football stadium. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Just, it's just hanging out there. Yeah. Where the New York Bears are playing the Cleveland Dakotas, which is pretty funny, I gotta say. Yeah. Um, two cops find Mike in the crowd and they go to shoot him, but he ducks and the two cops the shoot crowd. each other, which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> in <laughs> a crowded stadium, surrounded oh, yeah. by people, just they oh, decided sh- to find him. So shooting up, when he was shooting a, up. When he was in empty field, the helicopter's following him. Nobody took nope. a shot at the uh-uh. So on the crowded bus in the crowded stadium, fire away. Listen, like we're <laughs> looking for the casual damage. That's the fun thing. It's the seventies. No rules. <laughs> <laughs> a, a police lieutenant's on the scene, and he attacks Mike with a with a nightstick. But Mike Carter then escapes onto the field as the Bears score the winning touchdown. There's a massive rush of the crowd. He's able to lose himself in that uh, massive, uh, m- massive humanity. Meanwhile, Don Scarlatti is playing with his grandkids when the jit, when, uh, he gets the news of, of Carter's escape. The cops aren't getting the job done. So let's send a hitman after him. Call Crazy Luigi. Which is the name that was mentioned when the other guy jumped out the window, right? Like this yeah, is yeah. not somebody that wants no. to be crossed. Absolutely. <clears throat> Top mob hitman, Crazy Luigi. Oh man. <laughs> He's on the run. Ah, uh, but with that, Jason, holy crap, we finished the first three issues of Action Man. Oh, wow. Awesome. And here we are. And so, like, one big question remains, and that was, what were your top and bottom stories for these issues? Okay. So, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you the ones, uh, I alluded to this earlier, that I think are my top and bottom, and not uh-huh. necessarily the ones that I think are best or worst. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So... Top for me uh, is actually Hellman. Nice. I um, I am just, there is something that is so baffling to me about this idea of the good guy German soldier who is still killing copious amounts of right. like French and English people. <laughs> yeah. Like, is, is, is obviously not a hero of the English people, but because he spared like three in the first comic, I guess you're supposed to be with him. And because he like, disparaged in in verbally only this nazi commander oh well you know he's he's very honorable he's done a couple things yeah to 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 signal some virtue but otherwise he's still conquering europe for for the nazis (laughs) and i'm so i am just i am super excited to see how they continue to paint this person in an honorable light as he smashes just through more and more of the allied forces like i can't wait Awesome. Um, That's awesome. And then, <laughs> and then the bottom for me 
is um uh oh, what's the name of it? I just, play till you drop, and I mm. this is and it's, it's just one simple reason. Mm-hmm. What's he this, what, yeah. states he states that he doesn't believe the evidence. Like all the whole thing is predicated, really, despite his like injury taking kind of the the top line. All of it's predicated on him having to pay this reporter off because of the supposed evidence he has against his dad. Yeah. And he states over and over that he doesn't believe that it's true and yet acts in every single way as if he is absolutely afraid that it is. Yes. So just if you're, if you've got that confidence and this is all of this not important to you and is threatening your health, how about just call the bluff? Like he can't make money unless you give it to him. Just be like, publish it and let's see what happens. Like, right. Yeah. People or, either love uh, my dad or they don't. Yeah. Or at least like you could like, you, you can go to the cops and like the cops will often like might be able to handle things discreetly, you know? Right. Like, they'll, 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 yeah. They, they might help you manage the situation. Like just going along with it and like basically flushing your own life and ruining everything that you feel, everything you stand for, like your team's chances, your health to, I, I don't know what, like your dad's career is over and I'm supposed, like, it appears to be he's, he's dead at this point. Yeah, he's dead. He's already won his championships as, <laughs> as evidence there. I, I just, I am so baffled by Alex's stance to this whole thing. And so like, despite the fact that it's like a pretty cool and compelling and in many ways, like I just cannot take Alex seriously. I'm just like, you're so stupid. Just stop. <laughs> that's stop. awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Like there's, there's, he's got remedies that he's not taking for sure. And I think that's actually, I kind of know how this one goes. And so I think that's a real valid point, especially when we see how the story ends for sure. All right. Yeah. I mean, like he just seems like a really smart guy for like doing not like some pretty dumb things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so for me like- yeah um geez so my my uh my bottom is coffin sub i don't really care for it i gotta <laughs> yeah, say that's like, fair i do objectively it's worse than play till you drop but that's yeah, why it's, I, I, it's the way i did <laughs> it just feels really like it does feel kind of old school to me or just like they're not they aren't kind of taking things in a different direction i guess or i don't know it just feels like a sort of a, a regular war story almost right. um and yeah and i don't know i'm just not feeling it i guess and then my top is hook jaw buddy <laughs> That Absolutely. Shark kills, eats like 15 people. A dude, even when Hookshaw isn't killing people himself, like, yeah, a guy explodes from explosive decompression. <laughs> like they're harpooning each other out there. A dude swims into Hookshaw's mouth thinking that it's a, that it's a cave. It's so, it's so amazing. <laughs> it's so incredible. And his maneuvers, like how many times like that, that shark just, the maneuverability of that shark, the, yeah. the, the way he cuts creatures, tons of like, stuff with his dorsal fin, all that <laughs> stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, like, as far as like the ones I look, like, look, like, enjoy reading the most, mm-hmm. like, I, I have a hard time just being, like choosing between Hook John and Blackjack. They're definitely the ones I'm excited to look at first. But I'm really excited for the future of Hellman, just because I'm, I'm like, I, I just don't know where this is going to yeah. go. And no, so my, that's uh, what. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my my top. Th- my top three for sure are uh, Hookjaw, Blackjack, and uh, Dredger. Just because Dredger seems real, Dredger's real oh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, he's definitely that 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 prototype cop on the edge that I, I mean we've discussed it oh, yes. at length in yeah, previous you know, you know, uh, yeah. interactions. <laughs> I mean, we, we 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 talked about this before, but I love how on the nose it is. Where it's like you know, Breed is literally saying like Dredger's dirty, but he gets results. <laughs> like you know, like, I guess, yeah, I I guess also, it, it's nineteen seventy six, so it's barely even a cliche yet. You know, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think like it feels like that proto, like that proto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of like this is like that measure that is used going forward that I really love, and I also just love that Breed is just the narrator, but in in scene. <clears throat> right. He just sort of he tells you. Everything. He tells you what you, what Dredger's doing. You know. Like every panel is a paragraph of him just making observations about what's going on around him. Totally. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I'm just so fascinated that he spends more time talking about what's going on than actual action. His big <laughs> contribution in the first comic is to tell Dredger that something was happening right. and Dredger saves him, like, saves him both. <laughs> that Absolutely. Like, he do it. He just says, yeah. oh, look out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited to see where you know to to see where we're going with action. Um, all these stories yeah. are fun. I'm really looking forward to our next one. It's going to be great. <clears throat> just hoping and, for some new and exciting nicknames for people. This has just been great so far. <laughs> oh, always, yeah. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail at gmail dot com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k for everything else. Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. next. Can then come back next time as Hellman fights some Scotsman, Blackjack takes a headbutt, the Running Man fights the Axe Man, Dredger blows some shit up in the snow, and Hookjaw continues to eat people at an alarming rate. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Jason, and we are Space Spinner Reaction! Splundig for Thrig! <laughs> <laughs>